now that I've been running for, you know, over a decade, I could just keep adding things and adding things. And by the end of the day, I would be training 24 seven, adding in all these new exercises. And so I do gain a lot of confidence from doing these things, but then I like to assess what's actually helping me. Hey, what's up everybody? It's John here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. The voice you just heard was that of Joe Klecker, a 2021 track and field Olympian for the United States in the 10,000 meters. Joe has such an amazing story and it was a lot of fun exploring his journey to making his first Olympic team in 2021. One of the things that stands out about Joe's story is how both his mother and father were world-class runners back in their day. In fact, Joe's mother was an Olympic runner herself. What's great about our conversation with Joe is how much perspective he has on making his first Olympic team. Because he's so young, making this year's team so early in his professional career was a bit of a surprise to him. He's clearly, however, surrounded himself with a solid support network because he said something that I think we all could benefit from when he spoke about competing at his first Olympics this summer. This first experience is a stepping stone towards more big moments. In fact, it's easy to get overwhelmed and forget that we're all on a journey and that every moment, no matter how big, is still a moment to learn and to grow for future opportunities. Joe may only be 24 years old, but this young man shares a lot of wisdom throughout our conversation with him today. Before we get into this episode with Joe, I do want to take a moment to introduce UCAN and this podcast to our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product of choice for so many elite athletes. But even UCAN knows that true success is about so much more than just how you feel your body. It's about how you feel your passions, your motivation, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast is going to take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. We're so excited to have you guys on this journey with us, and we can't wait to give you guys a little more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now, on to the episode with Joe. All right, today's guest is US Olympian Joe Klecker, who will be competing in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics in the 10,000 meters. Joe's had a breakout season that saw him run personal bests of 27.23 for 10K and 13.06 for 5K, on top of his third place finish at the Olympic trials. We're excited to speak with him about how he transitioned from a recent college grad to professional so seamlessly, his preparation for and experience at the U.S. Olympic trials, and of course, his goals for Tokyo. Joe, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Joe, it's good to connect with you, man. I know Brian and I both chatted quite a bit about the trials. I mean, we're both avid runners and, you know, watching the middle and longer distance races was a lot of fun. Seeing your performance was very inspirational, man. So congratulations, first off, on making your first Olympic team. Yeah, thank you so much. I wanted to ask you really quick because you mentioned in your interview after you made the team, you finished third, you mentioned that your mom was an Olympian as well. Can you talk just really quickly about what it means to your family that you're continuing and adding to the legacy that you guys are building? Yeah, so she made the team in 92. And so this is you know about... 30 years later now that I made the team. And so it's just really special. I mean, growing up so much of my running, people would always talk about 
my mom being an Olympian and, and watching her run back in the day. So it just was so much kind of a part of my running growing up that to actually now go and do it myself is really kind of just special to continue that legacy. And it's a pretty elite group of people who have a second generation Olympian. And so I, I take a lot of pride in that. When you were there at the Olympic trials, you know, obviously you do a lot of prep for it. You're getting ready to show up there. Obviously your mom had gone through some of that experience, but, and also your coach, Dathan Ritzenheim had had plenty of experience racing at these things. Was it your first time competing at the U S Olympic trials or U S championships? So it was my first time at the U S Olympic trials. I competed at a U.S. championships, I think 2018 in Des Moines. Mm. Yeah. First Olympic trials, which this was a much bigger event than that was in Des Moines. Yeah, absolutely. And were you getting a lot of advice from them or did you, I mean, anything that stood out to you in terms of just getting yourself mentally ready to be there and get the job done? Yeah. I would say that having two people kind of in my corner who were Olympians and always there for me to offer advice, it was really the main things that they would just, you know, kind of tell me was that you're fit and ready to do it. These little things that'll go wrong, like a bad workout, or you might have a couple nights of really bad sleep and you might think, oh, I'm losing my edge or something. And just hearing from them and their personal experience and how when they made Olympic teams, it wasn't these just perfect, you know, six months of just everything went perfect and they made the Olympic team. It was just them pushing through everything that kind of went wrong and just never losing sight of that goal of wanting to be on that team. It's something that John and I have talked about as well. It's this idea of rolling with the punches, like whatever comes your way, the person who can handle those things the best can sometimes have the advantage over somebody who's getting more frustrated about it. I mean, John, you had a lot of strategies for that when you were racing. I love your story about, you know, focusing on every race is going to be a good race. It's just about how good it's going to be sort of thing. Yeah. I always had this trick that I started using in college that I really feel made such a big difference was I would always tell myself that two things is one, I'd always say every situation is the perfect situation. So if it was really hot, like crazy hot going into a track meet, I'd be like, this is great. And I loved it because I knew that everybody was going to be bothered by it or thinking about it. So if I turned it into this positive, I felt like it gave me an edge. And the other thing too, was I always would tell myself going into a race, I already know I'm going to do well. So the question is, how good am I going to do today? So I kind of just created this feeling of it's going to be a good day. I'm just curious to see how good it's going to be, you know? So I try to just always spin everything to be a positive, no matter what, because it's already a daunting task to try to run and perform at a high level. So I figured whatever I could do to kind of get myself into a good mental space, I'm going to do it. And those are two things that I relied on pretty heavily. Yeah. No, I like that. One thing I like to think about, something that gives me ease when I'm really nervous going into a race is every race you go into, you're trying 100%. And sometimes I think that going into a race, you can be nervous, but you know, like you've never not given 100% in a race. And so if you go in and just do that, obviously you've gotten to this point approaching every race like that. And so that gives me some ease going into races, knowing that I've never not gone in and given 100%. And if I go in and do that, it's going to go well. I like that this, a lot. This, yeah. Building on that, I think this Olympic trials, man, you made the 10,000 meter team. We'd love to know a little bit about that race, how it unfolded for you and what you were thinking the last part of that race, because the last 800 meters or so was kind of a barn burner. So I'd, we'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, the race, like uh, Dathan, I think did a great job of preparing me for it just in the sense that you can't go into that race hoping it plays out some way or hoping that something happens and you're just going to end up on the team. He just reiterated time and time again in practice and over the past few months that the people who are going to go on and make that team are the ones who just 
totally believe in themselves in every situation. And so going into it, like I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted to go out there and compete because I had a lot of people asking me beforehand, do you want it to be a fast race? Do you want it to be a slow race? And to me, I think that's just sometimes wasted energy thinking about it or hoping for some kind of race when you just go in there and compete. It's a U.S. championship. It's a race. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And so, yeah, that's kind of how my mindset was going into it and just knowing that I'm prepared for any situation. Can I ask about the actual planning portion of it? When you are going in, I think it makes a lot of sense not to have expectations like, oh, I really hope this race goes out slow or something, because then you're just setting yourself up for disappointment when that doesn't happen. But when you're preparing and you're talking about the way the race might unfold or the people who might make a move or the weather that you might face or something like that, are you sort of mapping out different plans? Like if the race goes out slow, I'm going to key off of this person or I'm going to do this. If the race goes out fast, I'm going to have a different mental plan that I try to lock into to keep me you know, focus. Do you really define it that way? Or do you just sort of keep it open and trust your ability to react to what's going to happen? Yeah. So I would say at the heart of it, I just trust my racing, but definitely there is like Dathan mentioned going into the race. He said, if one person just goes for it early in the race, just makes a breakaway, let them go. But if two people go for it, you have to go with them. And so that was kind of one of the only pieces of concrete, like if this happens, you do this Mm -hmm. versus just keeping your eyes on the players in the race, you know, keeping your eyes on the time. One of the big things in this race was there were seven guys with the Olympic standard. And I knew there were going to be guys who were going to try and hit it in the race. And so early in the race, when we were on Olympic standard pace, you had to look at everyone like they could make the team. Anyone in that field could have hit the standard, be top three and be on that team. But then once we hit about 5k, I saw that we were well off the standard pace. And at that point, it kind of turned into a seven person race to make the team. And so those are the few kind of things that in my mind I was thinking about in the race was, you know, Dathan's main key of advice was, you know, two people go, you go with them. One person goes, if it's before 5k, let them go because you have that whole pack. That's probably going to reel them in, especially in Eugene that day. It was a bit warm and and windy. And so to go out and do that solo would be pretty heroic effort. (laughs) Yeah. That last portion of the race you know, it was interesting because even with 450 meters or so to go, it was interesting because you were in about third place. And then I think Galen and Rupp and a couple of people started kind of moving. And I was shocked near the end of a 10K, you were kind of like looking and watching and observing on the home stretch going into the last 400 meters. So for me, when I saw that looking back at it, because I, I didn't know to look for you the first time, Joe, but you know, getting ready for this conversation, I was so excited because I was shocked at how you seem to be really aware of what was going on and well within yourself. That's a telltale sign to me. I'm like, if this guy's in a good striking position, he's going to be in a good spot to make that team finish top three. And it played out so well. How in the heck were you so in control in in that moment in that particular race? Yeah. So I would say that last portion of the race, I was just, I didn't want to necessarily go and lead. And so I was just kind of eating off the front of the race And I was just waiting and waiting until something was going to happen. And in that waiting, you know, between 600 meters and 400 meters to go, I kind of slipped back into about sixth place. Like you said, a couple of those athletes went around me because I was just keying off the front of the race and no one was really moving yet. No one was really taking off. And so people watching the race, like my family was like, oh, it looked like you were so boxed in and you were sliding back. But really, I was just kind of waiting for the front of the race to go. I was within myself, but I didn't want to be the one to go. I just 
was really waiting for that front of the race. And once they went, then I was able to fortunately get out of that box I was in and, and go with it. Cause I did feel really within myself in terms of fitness and everything, but my whole goal, you know, it's the trials is to be top three. And so that's it. As nice as it would have been to win that race, I was like, just bottom line, I need to be top three. And so I was just waiting for that front of the race to take off. And in doing that, I definitely got put back and not in the best positioning. But once the race did take off, yeah, it was that was my key. From there, it was just all out to the finish. Well, the funny thing is all of that happened so quickly, Joe. You know what I mean? And so for you to make the right decisions in that moment says a lot about, I think, your preparation with your coach. And I think just your savviness as well. Personally, as someone who's been in situations like that, I was actually very impressed with how you executed. I was just like, wow, that was perfectly executed. You just made all the right decisions in that moment. So definitely kudos to you for that, man. That was really fun to watch. Thank you. I'm curious about your confidence going in. You're towing the line. You've got people who've won U.S. championships, Olympians. There, you can predict maybe that some of the guys at the time might choose not to run it or all these other stuff. But it doesn't really like at the end of the day, you're towing the line with people who might have a little more hardware than you, a little bit better PRs than you. Some of these things. When you're stepping on the line in that moment, what are you using? What are you drawing your confidence from as you tow the line? Yeah, that's a good question because certainly. I wanted to go back maybe a few weeks before the race when the fields weren't necessarily set and there were people with the standard, um, but then they moved the schedule of the 10K to be the first event before it was after the 5K. And so in my mind, I was talking to Dathan or, you know, I was thinking and talking to Dathan about like, do you think so-and-so would maybe scratch the 10K to be fresher for the 5K? And so I was like thinking about who's going to be in the race, who's going to be there. And, you know, Dathan kind of just said, look, it doesn't matter who shows up on that race. It doesn't matter if this person's in the race or not in the race. Like you go into that race and just cause someone's not in it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy path to make the team. And mm -hmm. so I think that it was good maybe four weeks or so before the race, when I was really spending a lot of energy on who's going to be in the race versus like, no, you need to focus on how you're going to make the team, how you're going to be top three. You don't need to think about, okay, you know, this person isn't in the race. This person isn't in the race. But yeah, then in terms of confidence and yeah, people just certainly had more hardware, better PRs, but I just looked at like, for me, I got a lot of confidence in where I ran my 10 K PR, the, the conditions were a bit warm and I knew that I was well in shape to run the standard. And on that night in, in California, when I ran the standard, it was pretty warm and humid and I barely dipped under it. And last December I ran on just a perfect night and I was seven seconds off the standard. And so I only ran 27, 23, but I knew if I had a night, like I had, you know, the first 10 K I ran earlier in December there, I would have been much faster. And so my PR was a bit slower, but I kind of knew in my mind, like that's not necessarily the fitness I'm in. I think that I have a lot more to give on an ideal night. Like some of these other races that happened with really fast 10 K times. So I kind of threw the PRs out the window and I more looked at like, yeah, we're all kind of in a similar playing field. I thought everyone who had that standard was in a really similar level of fitness at the time, regardless right. of if they had more accolades previously. I think that makes a lot of sense. You've, you've got these little markers, right? These things that give you an indication and that obviously I'm sure you're doing the workouts and the preparation you're doing on the track and everything beforehand gives you a lot of good indicators and you're training at, at altitude a little bit. So you've got this, there's always this mental boost. I feel I was actually going to ask you this and you can tell me if you think you're doing these workouts at altitude, Boulder, at least at 5,000 feet. And 
you always have this little bit of mental conversion. It's like, yeah, but when I get to sea level, that's going to be a little bit better. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit better. And so I always feel like these athletes come in from Boulder who show up at somewhere like Eugene. There's always this little bit like, oh, I, nobody's even seen what I can really do right now, right? I don't know. Does that resonate with you as a little mental boost you get coming down from altitude to race? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, one thing I like to do is run my race pace for like, say I'm doing a 10K, I'm doing kilometer repeats at my race pace. And it might feel a bit hard, but then I think, yeah, but it's at 5,000 feet, not sea level. You know, I'll be racing at sea level. So yeah, there's certainly that mental aspect to that. And I think that gives people who train at altitude a little edge just to know if I can hit these paces at altitude, I should be able to do it at sea level. One more question for you about expectation setting. You said you don't really set expectations for a particular type of race, but I've heard you talk about expectation setting in terms of your relationship with Dathan. And I, I might not have this quote right, but you said something to the effect that Dathan has really high goals for you and you like to go out and prove him right. And so, you know, in that sense, your expectation setting, your confidence towing the line, knowing you can do it, how much are you drawing from Dathan's ability to sort of look at what you're doing and kind of imbue you with confidence by saying, look, I know what you can do because I've been there. And so trust me, you can go out and do this. Yeah, no, it's certainly like, I would say early on, right when he started coaching me, he would tell me I can do things. And I would kind of think, you know, not that I wouldn't believe him, but it would be, some things he would tell me I was, you know, able to do, I'd be like, wow, it seems a bit ambitious. Like, I don't know if I can do that. But then over the course of this year now that we've had this team develop going into certain races, he'll say like when Ollie went and ran 332 indoors and set his Australian record, he told him he was going to be able to do that. And at the time that was such a breakthrough race, but then like Dathan fully believed in him and he went and did it. And so kind of when my teammates go and prove him right too, it just gives a lot of credibility in my mind. Like when he says we can do something, it's not just him hoping we can do something. It's him looking at our workouts, him looking at us as athletes, the race situation, and really believing that we are able to do these things that he says we can. Are there any particular things that Coach Dathan does with you guys from a mental training or mental preparation standpoint that stands out to you? One thing I really like that he does, and I never did this a lot before, a lot of our workouts, he's kind of changed my mindset to them in terms of like really trying to hit a pace like say we're doing again, like kilometer repeats are pretty standard. Instead of like just going as hard as you can to hit the pace, you need to put yourself in that mindset of like, this is the middle of the race. This is how I'm going to be in the middle of the race. And so when you're doing those repeats, you almost feel like you're in your mind, you're trying to just imagine you're in the middle of a race and how you're going to feel. Cause say you're at three K into a 10 K you're not just running as hard as you can to hit that pace. You need to be relaxed. You need to be calm. And so I would say that wow. kind of mentally how we approach workouts and Oftentimes at the end of workout, sometimes we'll run a really hard 400, not as much for me, but more for the shorter distance athletes. But he always tells us when we're doing that, it's not about just gritting it out as hard as you can. You need to have a sense of calmness to you. Like mm -hmm. you can do this in a race, you know, because the whole idea is to improve, you know, running that race pace and, and, and being calm doing it and not just gritting it out. I call it almost, and I'm just making this up off the top of my head right now. So please forgive me if I'm saying something that's weird, but I, I almost think of it as situational training or, or like you're training for specific scenarios. And one example that I absolutely love sharing and to this day, I'll never forget it. Our college coach, Brian and I went to UCLA together and we were coached by Eric Peterson for a while. He coached me my entire college uh, career. And he told me right as I was transitioning into being a professional, he said, something that really stood out to me in my last year in college. He's like, John, 
whatever pace or time or race you think you can run when it's a fast paced race and there's rabbits and stuff, if you can run the time, if you really want to think you can run the time, you should also be able to go out and just do it on your own. And I took that as a challenge, a personal challenge, especially as a miler and a 1500 meter runner. So I'm like, I should be able to go out and run 335, 334 by myself. And I took that attitude and started approaching races, no matter who was in it. If I had a specific goal time in mind, I'm like, I'm going to go out and make it happen no matter what. I'm not relying on anybody else. And I was actually able to go out and front run a lot of times simply because he told me that and I believed it. So I loved it. That's the way that Coach Dathan is talking to you guys, your teammates and yourself. I think that that makes a huge difference in terms of how you actually are able to perform. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Because I think a lot of people look at workouts so much as physical, but I think there's so much mental sharpening and mental running through scenarios, like you said, that you do in workouts. And if you're just constantly doing that, you know, the mental side of it as well, that's what makes, I think, a well-rounded athlete and someone who can go out and race consistently. Yeah. Well, you joined this team, you joined on running, and I don't know if you were the first athlete, but you're well, amongst the first few that, that joined this team. And, and it's a pretty small squad. I, I suppose it might have grown bigger than I realized at this point, but it, I think of you and Ollie and only a couple other people. But what I want to mention is that you guys all have slightly different skill sets, slightly different focuses, maybe in terms of your training, you might be a little bit longer than like Carlos or somebody doing shorter stuff. And you've got this ability to train with people who have maybe slightly better speed, slightly better speed endurance or something. Do you find that training with them has proven to be an advantage to you in, in a way that was maybe different than you were in college? Yeah, that has probably been the one thing in terms of training partners that I think that On and Dathan did a great job of was identifying people that were kind of really good at one thing. Like maybe, I mean, not just really good at one thing, but a good overall runner, but had like one specific thing they were really good at and bring us together and let us train together. And that's going to strengthen all of us. When I train with Ollie, you know, like the biggest one was down in Scottsdale, the first couple of workouts, we would be doing these 600s, 400s, a little bit like speed endurance, like you're saying. And I just couldn't stay with him. And I kind of came to realize it was almost mental. Like I just need to believe I can do it. And after that trip in Scottsdale, I felt like I improved so much on those doing 400s, doing 600s at really fast paces that I wasn't good at before. And maybe on my training by myself, I never would have been pushed in that way. Because by the time I was a senior at CU, I was probably our best runner for sure, 1500 to 10K in terms of time and yeah. maybe even 800. And so I didn't have anyone pushing me on the speed endurance or like Carlos when we're doing 200s and just to see how effortlessly he can run 24 seconds, 25 seconds. And I'm there behind him trying to, to mimic that sense of calmness. You know, those things have been huge for improving aspects of my running that weren't as strong before I came. And I like to think that when those guys are out on long runs with me or when they're doing, you know, mile repeats or kilometer repeats, I'm kind of having that same effect on them. What's the dialogue or the dynamic, you know, between the athletes on your team? Yeah, us as a group, our personalities mesh super well. I think that that's the one thing that maybe we got really lucky with. Yeah. Uh, so all the guys live together and I have a house with my girlfriend, but we're always hanging out. We meet almost every day and it's not like, oh, we got to go meet with the team and do our workouts. Like we all look forward to like meeting every day. And a lot of times we're all just hanging out at the gym together an hour after our lift. And so, yeah, yeah it just makes practice really fun. I mean, and I think that 
we have a fun competitiveness at practice too. You know, Dathan likes to overlap our workouts quite a bit. Even if Carlos is training for an 800 and I'm training for a 10K, there might be portions of the workout where we overlap. And so that makes it really fun to be able to like- That is that is so cool, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's one thing in Dathan's coaching that he's really good at. I mean, because you'd think for Carlos, like training for an 800, he's never going to run with me being a 10K guy, but Dathan finds a way to link us up for portions of the workout. And it just helps mentally for him, for me, that you're never solo the whole time. You might have a few yeah. reps solo, but then I might have a mile tempo with Carlos. And then I go back to doing my you know, kilometer repeats or something like that, or I'm doing that, 300 with him. So, you know, it, so that's been really cool. That keeps you still sharp, man. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps it fun. The variety, I think, keeps you motivated. And a good on coach, Dathan, to keep you guys guessing. You know what I mean? It kind of keeps you guys engaged. And those are the things that are hard. How do you come up with ways to keep things from getting boring or stale? That is a very unique approach. I haven't heard too many people doing that. Yeah, no. And and I would say, too, the one thing that's so nice about it is like, say, you know, we're all doing 200s or something. Then it's kind of like Carlos's wheelhouse and he's leading them and pulling us through. And then we're doing 400s at 55 and that's kind of like Ollie's wheelhouse. And, you right. know, then we're doing tempo stuff and that's where I try to like, that's where I kind of take like some of that lead. And, yeah. and so it's like, everyone's pushing us each other in different ways in different parts of the workouts. Can I ask you a little bit about the process over the last year? Because the elephant in the room for this whole year, Olympic trials, everything has been COVID and the protocols and all this stuff. Were you guys able to sort of do your complete set of training that you would ideally want to do? Or were you having to find workarounds to try to get certain types of exercises in? I think about things like gyms, like I, I, we've talked to swimmers on here or like Maggie Steffens, water polo player. And she said she had months where she wasn't allowed to go in a pool. And as a water polo player, how do you train for water polo when you can't swim? Right? Like that's a big challenge that she yeah. had to overcome. I, I'm sure it wasn't I mean, you had the ground to run on, so I'm sure you had some stuff available, but I'm curious, how did you handle some of those aspects of the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, I would say one that we're really fortunate that we have our private gym at the Roll Recovery headquarters right in Boulder. We have an amazing space with treadmills, weights, and we get a massage there. And that's like our home base. And so mm-hmm. when a lot of runners didn't have access to gyms, and even if we did have access, Dathan didn't really want us going to public gyms like that, just to not put the team at risk of, of getting COVID. So we were super fortunate to have that gym space. And then in terms of running, not a whole lot changed for part of last summer. Some of the tracks would be closed. So we'd have to kind of like go to different tracks. But yeah, I would say that the running training, not much was affected, but having that gym space was huge, especially because of how much emphasis Dathan puts on lifting and doing the little things that are going to keep you healthy. You know, without lifting, I think that I would be not where I'm at right now in terms of just being able to handle the training load. And so having that gym space has been huge. Can you talk a little bit about the lifting and and sort of, you know, what that's done for you? Yeah. So we work with a guy that Dathan worked with in his career, Dr. Jason Ross. He's like a, a chiro physio from Michigan, but he also writes our lifting plans. So he'll fly out to Boulder once a month or so and do treatment with us, just seeing where we're weaknesses, tightnesses. And so he knows our bodies really well. And then he creates our lifting plan around that. And so we all have individualized lifting based off just the stuff that he finds. And he's, you know, Dathan worked with him in his career and just raved about him. And for him to bring him on board with our team has been huge. But 
Yeah, we lift twice a week. Dathan likes to do lifting on our easy days after workouts, which I think is good because a lot of times, at least in college, we'd always lift right after our hard workouts. And it'd be like six o'clock on a Thursday night, you know, and it's the winter time, it's dark out and you're just trying to get through this lift. But I like doing it on our easy days. We'll get up and we'll usually meet for a run beforehand. Dathan will run with us, just an easy run. And then we'll do this lift. And that's kind of your focus for the day is to really hit that lift good. And not that we're just like lifting crazy weights, but really just focusing on doing everything technically right. And just trying to improve what Jason finds that you need to improve. And it's fun. He'll come out and watch workouts and he'll be like, your form is completely different from a year ago. Just everything is more fluid or he'll do treatment on you and be like, you know, your legs feel completely different than a year ago. And so to have that person who's both giving you treatment, but also writing your weight plan, he's a really good asset in terms of keeping us healthy and keeping us just improving in that sense. Yeah. What's the focus for you guys as you're thinking about the thing that you're you're about to do. So going into it, the mindset with the lifting, is it uh, focused on just improving movement, improving weaknesses? Uh, Are you guys actually lifting somewhat heavy, doing some Olympic lifting as well? Yeah. So I would say the heavier stuff, you know, is more like stuff Carlos can do for me. It's more, I don't want to say general strength, but more like body weight and eccentric loading just to make sure your muscles can handle the, the strain. But yeah, the mindset like going into it, it's just like, on those days where we just have that easy run, that is the kind of the focus for the day. And I think that Dathan's done a good job of emphasizing how important it is, but also not yeah. putting too much importance. Cause I think a lot of times you get a weight coach who might not have much of a running background and they tend to sometimes think that the lifting is what's going to make them better. Where Jason is so good at realizing that lifting is just ancillary to our running and, mm. you know, it's very important, but what we're doing in the weight room is not the thing that's going to make us better. It's what's going to allow us to get better from running. We had Bo Sandoval, who's the head of strength and conditioning for the UFC Performance Institute on this podcast a few months ago. And I think Brian and I somehow mentioned it or bring it up every once in a while. He said, no wasted movement. And he said, that's kind of like the attitude and the approach that they take with every single UFC fighter, male or female, that they work with from a strength and conditioning standpoint. And the whole goal is, he said, I don't want to spend any more time with you than I have to. I don't want you to do any extra lifts or exercises that you don't need or or have to. And he says, if it's not going to help you improve a certain aspect of your ability to do something in the ring, we're not doing it. So that whole wasted movement thing, it sounds like you guys have a little bit of that as well. It's like the whole goal is just to improve how well you're running. It's not to be super great in a weight room. It's literally just to improve the running. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Like a lot of what we do, it's, it's very running specific. You'll even be in like almost a running position with some of the stuff. And so, yeah, like, I think that's a great mm. way to say it. No wasted movement. I mean, what you're doing is totally applicable to your sport. Hey, I- you got to be efficient over a longer yeah. distance, right? So that's the idea. It's all about efficiency. Can I ask you, Joe, about these other activities that relate sort of in the same way about thinking about training? I mean, As runners, I think we all have a different degree of passion for these activities like weight training or how much we enjoy. A lot of us get into running because we're really good at the running and we like doing the running, but there's these other things we have to do to be really successful. And some of those could be the weight training. It could be things around your diet. It could be flexibility. It could be other stuff. Can you talk a little bit about, well, I guess you you use the word ancillary, like these kind of sort of ancillary activities, but that are really important. I don't know, which ones come to mind for you as being really critical that you've really focused on in order to try to get the most out of yourself? Yeah, no, I think that 
personally, I'm someone who gains a lot of confidence in not just doing more, but doing more things that I think will help me. I mean, I look at racing in Tokyo and I know it's going to be really warm and I gain a lot of confidence from knowing that I'm doing a lot of heat preparation for that race. And same with going into Eugene, it wasn't quite as warm in Eugene, but I knew it was going to be a warm race. And so I like, yeah, I take a lot of energy into heat preparation for that race. And I gain a lot of confidence from knowing that I considered that, you know, I looked at that's going to be a factor in the race and I haven't forgotten about that. And then in terms of other ancillary stuff, something that's big for me is I spent a lot of time in an altitude tent and it's not always the most fun thing to do, but mm-hmm. I find a lot of confidence in doing these extra things that I know help me. And sometimes I, I like at the end of the season to, I, I kind of stop doing all that stuff. You know, like when I have a little break in the season, I, I'll stop being in the altitude tent. You know, obviously I'm not heat training, I'm not running. And then I start over the new season and I kind of think about what actually did help me that season. You know, did the heat training really help? Did the altitude tent really help? Because now that I've been running for, you know, over a decade, I could just keep adding things and adding things. And by the end of the day, I would be training 24 seven, adding in all these yeah. new exercises. And so I do gain a lot of confidence from doing these things, but then I like to assess what's actually helping me. I used to do quite a bit of rehab exercises every night and then after a season, I cut them out, started running again and stopped doing those exercises. And I feel the exact same. And so it's like, why spend more energy doing that thing? That's not really helping me. And so that's kind of how I look at all those ancillary things is just, I like to do a lot. I like to make sure I'm not forgetting anything, but also I need to assess what's actually helping. That's such a good point. I hope people hear what you just said, because it is so hard to believe that you're doing enough. Mm-hmm. And that you don't have to add more. I think that the the adage less is more is very true, especially when it comes to training. You can only do so much before you start to experience like diminishing returns. And mm-hmm. so you're putting in the work, but you're not getting the results that you think you should be getting. At some point, you got to be just enjoying life and recovering and having some sense of balance. So it's good that you assess that quite frequently to make adjustments and to find out for sure what's necessary or not. You know, I know that we don't have too much more time. I know we're getting very close to the end of the conversation, Joe. And I wanted to just, if it's okay, Brian, I wanted to just kind of paint the picture of how amazing of a journey it is for you to have made the Olympic team, having two parents that were unbelievably high level runners. And then your mom, obviously being an Olympian as well, when did you actually commit to the Olympic dream? And what was that journey? Just like a high level, what was that journey like kind of trying to make it happen and then actually having it happen? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously my whole career has been surrounded by my mom being Olympian. Like when I'm at cross country meets in high school, everyone is, it's like, that's kind of what people know. Like, oh, that's Joe, his mom's an Olympian. And so that's something that's just followed me around for a long time. And and then when I got into college and, and, and even in high school, when I was starting to run pretty high level for this high school stage thing, NCAA, people would always say, is your goal to make the Olympics? Is your goal to make the Olympics? It was such an easy question to ask with my mom being an Olympian. And I always answered, you know, yes, that's everyone's goal who's in this sport, really. But sure. uh, it was always a goal of mine. But it's easy to look at how many good runners there are in the US and how hard it is to do that. We talked a little bit off the podcast about how Tokyo was not the Olympics I thought I was going to make. When I was looking right. at my career, it was like, I think I have a good shot. Or, you know, for, for, give me four years of training and maybe, maybe we'll do it. You know, I'll be ready to go in Paris. But I think that it just goes to show that 
you can always wish and hope that it's going to happen down the road, but sometimes that moment just comes. And so even in that race in the 10,000, I'm sitting there with 600 to go, you know, I'm in a pretty good position to make this Olympic team, but then it's kind of hard to walk through that door of, okay, now I'm going to actually go make this team. You know, it's kind of like breaking a barrier, like breaking the four minute mile. You see so many people who are right at four minutes and then to actually break through and get that sub four minute mile. That's kind of how it felt in that 10 K race was like, I had to think in my head, like if this was just a normal race, being top three would be whatever, but I need to commit to becoming an Olympian now. And yeah, and that's something I didn't, I mean, in the last few months, that's something I thought I could do. But in terms of when I was younger, I mean, looking at, yeah, this was way ahead of where I thought I would be. And so, yeah, that's definitely things got fast forwarded a bit in that sense. It's very emotional for me to imagine going through that, hearing you describe it. It's actually, I don't know. It's hard to put into words. I get very emotional listening to you describe that because I was one of those people, you know, that wanted to make an Olympic team. It was this big goal or dream. And to put into perspective just what it really means to go through the journey, to commit to it, and then to actually break through, to get to the other side of it. I guess it makes you emotional because I'm very happy for you because of how hard it is, I think, on so many levels. And then you had, on top of just going through the journey, having family and a a mom and a dad both successful and running at such a high level. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that adds some type of level of expectation and an undue pressure that you don't really need when you're already trying to do something so big, but to hear and you you go through the journey and to see you actually achieve the goal. It's very exciting because it just shows people that it is possible and and that you just kind of have to stick to it and you don't know when it's going to work out, but you just got to keep going. And it seems like that was just the case for you is that I'm sure your passion grew as you went through the journey and everything, but to be where you are today, I mean, goodness, do you feel like a different runner now? I mean, in terms of my training, everything, it all feels the same, but definitely it feels like that was a big thing to do something. That's a career goal is to become an Olympian. And to do that in my first year out of college, it's kind of like, it hasn't made me want to reassess my goals, but it's made me think, you know, I want to have a career out of this, you know, and you go and check off kind of one of the biggest goals you can have is to make that team right in year one. You need to make sure you still have a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of goals still, but Mm-hmm. I think it could be easy to get complacent, you know, like a lot of people who achieve such a big goal and then maybe you don't have the drive after that. And so it's definitely just having to, this whole year has happened so fast, you know, like with a year ago, if you told me I was gonna be on this team, it was just, a, it would have been just a dream. And then it kind of turned into a, a realistic goal. And and now yes. to actually do it, it's like, wow, I need to, you know, enjoy it. But also I need to, if I want to have a career out of this in this sport, I need to keep going just because, you know, that you can't just have one, hopefully one good year and make a career, you know? Well, I think one of the things that stands out is, and it's one of the challenges of being goal-driven about a goal being having like the destination is that it is that if you achieve it, it leaves you without that thing, right? You, it, it sort of disappears. But I think it sounds like you've done such a good job of taking those goals and turning them into sort of an actionable, executable approach to practice, whereas it's driving daily behaviors that are not sort of limiting you to that goal. They're just sort of, your goal has sort of become a milestone now. Your first milestone is checked, you know, Olympics number one. Now it's making a couple more. It's continuing on with times and places and other things like that. But speaking of times and places, you're heading to Tokyo. Like you're, can you give us a little outline of your next, you know, say a couple of weeks before the race? Like, how are you prepping? What are you doing to get ready for the race? Yeah. So I would say that 
having Dathan guide me through this process is another time frame that's really special. And having someone who's been through this is beneficial because I assume that after I made the team, it's like, okay, I'm going to race the best runners in the world. I need to get back to Boulder, start running 110 miles a week again, and really get ready to go. But Dathan said, you know, he's done that before. He's done that approach where you make the team and you go back and you just crush training. And he got to the games pretty worn out. And so he said that we're going to go back. You're in the best shape of your life. We're going to just get some miles in, get some good workouts in, but really just go into the race feeling really fresh and feeling really ready to compete. He said that he's just reiterated to me that it's going to be a really hot race. It's going to be a really humid race. And there might be a time in the race where you're in 15th place, but if you keep your head in it, it's going to be a war of attrition out there within the 10K. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of big names who just crumble under the conditions. It's not just a normal 10K where it's good weather and it's a pure fitness race. There's going to be a lot of mental fatigue going on. People who say your goal is to get a medal. And as soon as they see that goal slip away, it might be hard for them to motivate themselves to keep running hard. And that's Mm -hmm. what he tells me that because in his career, he's experienced races where that's happened. Like he ran in Osaka world championships and got eighth place. And he said, that's exactly what happened was he was far back. And then he just kept his mind in it and kept running hard and people crumbled under the hot humid conditions there. And he was able to place eighth place, which was really good. And so that's kind of how I'm approaching it is knowing that it's going to just be this mental war of attrition. And I just need to keep engaged. And at, I might be really far back at certain times. I might feel like I'm out of it, but if I just keep engaged, you can just do really well. Yeah, I love that. I think that I love the the mental war of attrition. I, I love that phrase. I think that that's exactly how you want to think about it, especially uh, at the longer distances where heat is going to be a factor. If your mindset is like, man, I'm, I'm ready for a dog fight. I think you're going to do great, man. Yeah. And I, that, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. You know, it's a definitely yeah. a different approach than the trials. It's like even more so than the Olympic trials, you have no clue what the race is going to go like, but if you just go in there with that mindset of I'm going to race, I'm going to compete for 10 K. I think that that's how you're going to do well. Yep. I also feel like I agree at your age and your point of your career and all this stuff. Like, I love that you can go out in there with really nothing to lose. You can walk in there in a way that's different from the US trials where there's this like, oh, this is my chance to qualify. It's all upside, it feels like to me. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, no, I mean, Dathan has told me that this is a really good opportunity to take a step in your career. Like for instance, if I go in there and get fifth place, sixth place and have a really good day, then all of a sudden in your next world championship or Olympic games, you're potentially looking at going for a medal. That's your next step. And so I think for me, just to kind of go in there and have a really good first race experience at that world stage, hoping it's not my last, if we keep on this trajectory, but just going in there and getting that experience so that down the road, maybe the next step would be going after that medal. You know, I think that making the Olympic team from the US is such a hard thing to do that I think that anyone who qualifies out of the US, you have to have pretty high goals like that, like looking at that that medal stand and looking at being top five in any race, just because of how competitive this country is. I 100% agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Joe, we need to wrap up this podcast. We always end with a a question. We like to end with a question. You know, we named this podcast Fueling the Pursuit and you've pursued the Olympic dream. You've achieved that now at this point. And 
we want to know like what piece of advice would you give to our audience to help fuel their mindset that they need to excel in in their training yeah i would just say kind of a piece of advice that i always love is that every day of your training doesn't need to be perfect but if you have a purpose every day when you go out i think that it makes it a lot easier to 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 see improvement you know even on easy days if you have a purpose every day it, it really helps um you get through training I could not agree more. I love that statement. It distills exactly what I think is the most important thing, especially for younger runners who are just getting started and trying to think about training. It's find the purpose for today's workout. And so I hope that that, that gets through uh, to everybody listening and that they really do take that to heart because I, I believe it's one of the secrets to success, 100%. Joe, I'm going to let John close it out, but I want to wish you good luck coming to Tokyo. Have a great, smooth experience dealing with all the, the steps you're going to have to go through in the protocols and, and the, the process. I think it's all going to be an amazing experience. I'm so happy for you. And, and I want to wish you the best race possible when you toe the line. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think it's just excited to get on the starting line. <laughs> Yeah, you got it, Joe, man. Go have a lot of fun. Go out there and, and make the most of the opportunity. And congratulations again, man. Super, super happy for you. And for sure, thanks from all of us for taking a couple minutes, man, to connect with us before you head over there to Tokyo. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patented ingredient to deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit, both with the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit UCAN.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast show, to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products. And please continue to listen to our bonus conversation with Joe about how he uses UCAN to optimize his training and competition results. All right, Joe, we've been talking all about Tokyo. We've been talking about all this other stuff in terms of the Olympic trials, but I want to ask you a couple questions about UCAN. You're one of their newest athletes joining the, the UCAN team. How have UCAN products helped you achieve your potential in training or perhaps in competition? Yeah, so I used UCAN before I even officially signed with them now, so... That's been exciting, but yeah, you can, the, the one product I've used probably the most thus far and used the most in the past was the, uh, protein plus energy with their super starch in it. And mainly I use it in the evenings. Um, I'm someone who struggles to sleep through the night without getting hungry. And so I've used that. I mix it with milk before I go to bed. And honestly, it's been one of the best things, just that slow release energy to, to keep the hunger cravings away all night. And then also, uh, waking up like feeling way more recovered, you know, not feeling like I'm just starving. So that's been my favorite product so far. I love that. I haven't heard that, but it makes total sense. You can sounds like the kind of like the perfect product for that. When you're talking to other athletes, say if you were having a conversation and someone said, Hey, I'm considering adding you can to my training, like what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I would say that I would definitely try the, you can edge first. And I like that one because it, it tells you to take it 45 minutes before your workout. And so it's not like you're just putting something in during your run that could really, um, you can use it during your run, but like I, I usually use it before my run and you're not putting something in during your run. That's just going to cause you to have like an upset stomach and feel terrible. Um, but what I've noticed with it is it just keeps you from bonking. I mean, I, for long runs and, and easy days, I just notice I have energy throughout the whole run. 
And cause some days I don't, I wake up and I, I go run. I don't want to eat breakfast. So that's the product I would try. And that's what, if, if someone was looking to try the, you know, you can and, and, and the super starch in their products, that's probably the one I would go to first. Have you had any experience on the, say a long run? Um, like when you do, I don't know how long do you usually go, but do you try to fuel in the middle of your runs or are you somebody who sort of just fuels first and then, and you just go finish the whole workout? Yeah. So in the longest base training, we'll go 20 miles and it kind of depends like in the fall when it's really cool out and, and a nice day, I, I find that I can just fuel beforehand and usually I'm good the whole run. But sometimes when it's like really hot in the summer, I definitely need like hydration throughout. And so that's the same thing. I'll, I'll usually go to something like you can edge before or like eat, eat a breakfast beforehand to really fuel me for it. But then I definitely need hydration along the way. But yeah, in terms of like mid run fueling, usually I'm pretty good at, at not having to like for 20 miles or 18 miles in there. I can usually, usually make it to the end, but there are those rare runs where you hit like 15 and you're like, I'm really tired right now. And you don't know why, <laughs> but it just happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, just about UCAN products, you mentioned the protein energy, but do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite that you go to as your number one? Yeah, I would say protein energy, the cookies and cream flavor has been like my favorite, but also the bars have been awesome too. I mean, I'm someone who like I'm working out twice a day. And so just to have something to like sustain you throughout the day, I, we had some of the bars sent down to us in Scottsdale. We were training twice every day. And I, I swear every day we'd get to about three o'clock and we'd have our run at four o'clock. And like, I wouldn't have eaten lunch yet, or I'd had a very small lunch and I'd be getting hungry. So then I would, the bars were like such a go-to there because you eat that hour before your run, you're going to have, you know, sustained energy for, for your workout, but also you're not having like a meal in your stomach right beforehand. So that's been another one. The bars have been great too. Love it. Joe, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing us a little bit about your experience using UCAN. And um, again, we wish you the best of luck heading to Tokyo. Yeah. Thank you so much. 